0: There's a light. Hey. 1975 and 1976, that was my favorite school year. It was my eighth grade year. I was the captain of all the sports teams that I joined, and we won all of our championships. I liked my teachers. I liked my life. And I liked Julie. <laughs> Julie was not ugly. She was not facially challenged. Julie, um, she took my breath away. And, and uh, I, I really liked her a lot. And... One day, we were talking on the phone for probably hours, and in the quiet of a moment where we didn't know what to say, she said, I love you. (laughs) Don't say that to a 14-year-old boy. (laughs) I love you, she said. And I didn't know quite what to do. And, and uh, I mean, I, th- I was this, this love-struck 8th grader. Oh, I love you too. And, and, and man, um, that was so, some incredible stuff. Best drug I ever took. <laughs> I love you. My 8th grade year is when I found out that sometimes words might mean different things than I thought they meant. <laughs> because two weeks later, Julie told Jeff Bentley that he, she loved him. <laughs> I felt like Enegu Montoya and the Princess Bride. (laughs) I don't think that word means what you think it means. (laughs) Love is a word that we throw around so casually, has an infinite number of nuances and meanings. I love my wife, and I really do love my wife. I've loved her for 32 years. And I love Indian food. I went to a buffet in Asheville today. I'm pretty sure that's what's growing on the tree of life, right next to Madison's key lime bars. Did you bring something for me tonight? (laughs) Leave. I love pizza. I love my church. I love Jesus. Ooh, I love that song. Love is a word that's used to describe so many things that it's almost lost its meaning. But when an 8th grade girl says that word to an 8th grade boy, it has an effect. There's another word that's used a lot in churches and by religious people that can evoke thoughts and emotions and reactions. And that is the word... Perfect. Perfect is a word that can be thrown around kind of like the word love. We say things, oh, oh it's a perfect day today. I was up uh, looking at waterfalls on the Blue Ridge uh, Parkway today and, and hiking around and having such... And a couple of times, uh, the friend of mine that was with me, Carl Hafner, he's speaking uh, during the, the day. During the, and, and he looked at me a couple of times and said, could you get a more perfect day than this, he said. And he ate at the buffet with me. And funny, because he used the same word about the buffet. This is just perfect. Isn't this just perfect? All you can eat. And that man can eat. (laughs) Before I came a couple of weeks ago uh, here, I... uh, I was going to meet somebody in Santa Rosa, California, about 45 minutes from my house. And, and we were trying to meet and trying to meet. And it kept falling through. And finally, we found a time that, that worked for both of us at this sandwich shop over there. And he said, oh, that would be perfect. I'll see you there. We use the word perfect like we use the word love. We just keep throwing it around. In church, the word perfect takes on a whole nother life, doesn't it? My... First pastorate when I was 23 years old, we had an evangelist come in and he was what I would describe as an old school evangelist, right? And, and he was, he was furious from up front. The guy was powerful and, and he would preach with all this emotion and conviction. And I remember during this series of meetings that he spent a lot of time asking people to conquer their sins. And at one point he, he just yelled out, be ye therefore perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And then he went on and he started describing one of our doctrines, the, uh, the Daniel eight fourteen prophecy, where the sanctuary is going to be cleansed. And he, and he, and he detailed this doctrine out. And at the end of, of, of his explanation, he said, One day, the Lord is going to open up some books. And he's going to get to your name. And since we're in the toenails of history, he said, it was very dramatic since we're in the toenails of history, you're going to be alive when he gets to your name. And he's going to find your name, and he's going to look next to your name. And is Joe so-and-so, probably Ottinger. <laughs> still sinning? And he looked at the congregation and then said, if the answer is yes, then your name will be blotted out of the book of life because the good book says he who is filthy let him be filthy still. And he appealed to the congregation ladies and gentlemen the door of probation is closing and you have to stop your sinning. You have to be perfect even as your father in heaven It's perfect. 23 years old, new pastor. And I'm sitting there listening. And I'm freaking out. (laughs) Because I knew me. And I had some comfort in that my name starts with W and hopefully Jesus was using English (laughs) names and, and he'd start with the A's and I'd have a little more time but i was i was freaking out i got to be perfect and i went and i talked to him just me and him personally in the office and i said is this true i got i got to be i got to be brave. and he looks at me and with all the sincerity he could muster he looked at me and he said mark i want you to know that it has been 8 years since I committed a conscious sin. I did the math. I was 15 eight years ago. You know how many times I've sinned between 15 and 23? Is that eight? Yeah. Again, I'm freaking out. And night after night, this evangelist got up and said, if you don't stop with your sinning, you can't make it to heaven because the righteous standard for entering heaven has never changed. And that's perfect obedience to the law, he said. I pulled him aside again and I said, I said, how perfect is perfect? I mean, what? what, what, what He looked at me and he said, Mark, I've gotten so close to the Lord. Okay, I'm going to try not to smile when when I'm telling you this. (laughs) Mark, I've gotten so close to the Lord, he said. I have special underwear that I only wear on Sabbath. Because they are dedicated to him. I didn't have any special underwear. How am I going to get this perfect? And night after night he would say, Be ye therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Some people, I think he scared them into the tank. <laughs> so I started studying. I mean, this stuff freaked me out, and I didn't know what to do because I had tried to start. I had tried to stop sinning several times in my life, incredibly unsuccessfully, and 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 I kept having to go back to the Lord and confess and say, "Lord, please forgive me." And and I felt like that was you know working. And and uh, but he preached all this stuff and. And so I, I thought, I got, I got to study this stuff out. If i got to be perfect to go to heaven, i got to. And, and so I thought, I'm going to start with the whole idea of sin. What is sin exactly? And, and, and if you would have asked me, I would have just said, well, sin is when you do bad stuff. And, and so don't do bad stuff and, and you'll stop sinning. And that's what I would have said. But um, then as a new pastor, I thought maybe I ought to look in the Bible and uh, find out what it says about sin. And so I looked around and I found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, it says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness, it said. Now, at this point, I was feeling pretty good. Because I don't feel like I'm a lawless person. I mean, when you're lawless, you basically live to yourself and don't care what the rules of god or society are you're just an anarchist and you're just going out there and doing whatever you want to do and and i'm not that kind of a person and and, and i started thinking of of law law is, well the law i always thought of ten commandments and and i thought well the ten commandments i'm pretty good at keeping those i mean never once have i made a big ceramic cow and bowed down to it i've never done that I've never committed adultery. I've never even wanted to commit adultery. I like my wife. She's hot. (laughs) I've not... No, I haven't. I have never killed somebody. (laughs) Never done it. Sabbath... Look forward to it every Sabbath. I mean, isn't Sabbath the best day of the week? If you're an Adventist, you're looking forward to Sabbath like nothing else. Man, you can't wait until it gets there. I love remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Taking the Lord's name in vain. Don't do it. And I golf. (laughs) So I thought, okay, so far so good. This is good. So far, the definition of sin in the Bible lawlessness, I'm not a lawless person. Okay, one for one. And this evangelist's idea of what perfection is, I'm, so far, I'm heaven bound. <laughs> and then I ran into Romans chapter 14, verse 23. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Well, great. I read the whole chapter, and in context, it has to do with what day you decide to worship God in unofficially, and mostly about what you eat and what you don't eat. And and he just sums it all up, and he says, listen, if it's not from faith, it's sin. Well, when I discovered this, I thought about what I ate that day, and I had um, fish and chips, I had that. Was that of faith? No? It was of hunger. <laughs> hmm. And then I started applying it to other parts of my life. Was my choice of entertainment that day of faith? Was that an outgrowth of my faith? Was, were the other meals I ate that day an outgrowth of my faith? Were well, Were the conversations that I had with people, wherever they were, an outgrowth of faith? And I didn't know quite how to define it, but I, I found some things in there that I thought, well, that wasn't a faith. And if it's not a faith, it's sin. Oh boy, okay, i got to live my whole life. And, and I didn't know what it meant. I just was trying to define this. I've, I've got I've to do this faith thing better so that I, I'm not sinning. Okay, so I was heavenward, heaven bound, and now I'm kind of back in the middle. I'm not quite in hell yet, but... And then I found the crusher. I should have stopped reading the Bible when I James 4:17 I hesitate to read it to you because you are all going to understand very well that you're all a bunch of filthy sinners. Here we go. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it It is sin for them. Great. Great. Now, this is getting ridiculous. Not only can I sin by doing wrong things, now it's a sin if I don't do a right thing. I mean, how many times have I not sacrificed in my giving to God's work? I could have, and I thought about it, but I thought, no, I want that toy. How many times have I not spoken up and defended my faith or God's character when I heard something going on? Instead, I went, oh no, it's none of my business. How many times have I driven past that person on the side of the road with a flat tire? How many times have I witnessed injustice in this world and sat back and did nothing about it? I could keep listing things. After looking at all these definitions... I figured the only way that I'm going to be sinless, as far as I can see, is if I'm dead. And knowing me, I'd probably figure out a way to do it after I was dead. Again, I don't think perfect means what people think it means. Well, I know this because... In order to get the theology degree that I got, they made me take Greek. Don't do it. <laughs> it's hard. And I discovered that the Greek word for perfect in the Bible is teleos. can be teleon, can be some other, but teleos. You know what teleos means? Doesn't mean perfect. In English, we write down perfect, that's not what it means. It means, I can draw a picture for you in the air. Here's what it means. Ready? Complete. Like a circle. It means complete. And that's what we translate as perfect. If I tell you, go back there and get me a donut and bring it up to me, and you go back and get the donut and bring it up to me and put it in my hand... You, my friend, are perfect. (laughs) For dozens of reasons. (laughs) But that means you've completed your task. The thing I ask you to do, you've done. I'm going to give you some good news. You ready for this? Nowhere in the Bible are you asked to be sinless in order to go to heaven. Did you know that? Nowhere. It's not there. I mean, the Bible is not pro sin. Please don't get me wrong. Don't go out and create havoc in Lake Junalaska here. The Bible is very against sin because of all the damage it does. But nowhere in the Bible is it a requirement for you to be sinless to get to heaven, but the Bible does require you to be perfect to get to heaven. Okay, raise your hand if you're perfect. All right, okay, dude, you were the only one, so we gotta talk afterward. I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read Hebrews 5 through 7 and give everybody the reason why you raised your hand. You've never probably heard these verses before. You've never heard your pastor preach this verse before, because we don't know what to do with it. (laughs) Hebrews 5 7 through 9. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, who are we talking about here? Good, you're listening he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. This is good. Okay, who are we talking about again? Though he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect... He became the source of salvation for all who obey him. Once made perfect? Wait a minute. Jesus wasn't perfect at one time? It says once made perfect. That would suggest that there was a time in Jesus' life that he wasn't perfect. Would any of you agree with that? The answer is yes. I don't know if you'll agree with it, but I'm going to tell you the answer. There was a time in Jesus' life when he wasn't perfect. Now, again, in your mind right now, what you're thinking is, Jesus never sinned. Perfection and sinlessness are not the same thing. They never were in Scripture. Jesus was always sinless. But he wasn't always perfect. Uh oh. I should just stop right now and let you go back to the conference president and talk to him. I want to read uh, verse 15 in Hebrews. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. The same author of the same book said Jesus was made perfect at one point in his life, meaning that there was one part that he wasn't perfect, yet he was sinless the whole time. You see how sinlessness and perfection are not the same thing. How do you reconcile this? Biblical perfection has nothing to do with sinlessness and everything to do with fulfilling God's call for your life. What was Jesus' call? What was his purpose? He says it himself. I have come to live here, to serve, and give my life as a ransom for many. Do you know when Jesus became perfect? It is finished. <sighs> he completed the mission that he was given when telios happens, when perfection happens, is when the mission is complete. Jesus was perfect. When he died on that cross. Before then, he was on the road to perfection. He was on the road to doing what he was supposed to do. He was doing the mission, but he hadn't reached the biblical definition of perfection yet. I'm going to prove it to you one more time. Perfection and sin, uh, sinlessness, two different things. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Noah was a just man and perfect in all his generations because Noah walked with God. There it is, Noah, perfect. Three chapters later, Noah laying on his bed naked, so drunk he doesn't even know it. I thought he was perfect. Never changed. He was. What was Noah's mission? I need you to save the world by building an ark. Get your family onto that ark. Noah accomplished his mission. Noah was perfect. Was he sinless? By no means. Where did he get that wine so fast? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you see, if perfect means sinless, then the Bible was fibbing about Noah being perfect. But, if perfect means that Noah was a flawed man that was willing to be used by God to perform a task, a man who, on a day-to-day basis, placed himself in the flow of God's will as best he could, even though he made mistakes, well then, Noah was was a sinner, but he was still perfect. In my 30-some years of being a pastor... I've run into all too many folks on their deathbed. Pastors have to do that a lot. They go and sit next to people that are going to die. And I can't tell you how many Seventh-day Adventists I've sat next to that were, were just about to die, and they were fearful, and they were trembling, and they were in agony, because they were thinking, I don't know if Jesus can save me. Why, I always ask, why wouldn't Jesus save you? Because I'm not perfect. What does that mean, I always asked. Well, I'm a sinner, Pastor. I'm a sinner. And I always say, What does that have to do with being perfect? What do you mean, Pastor? And I explained to them on their deathbed that their task in life was to be who they were created to be, to raise the family that they raised, to to do the occupation that they did, and to do that in the flow of God's Spirit, in relationship with Jesus, to, to hide their life in Him as best they can. And every single one of them, I've looked at their lives and their beautiful, beautiful contributions to the kingdom of God. And with a smile on my face and with tears in my eyes, I can look at them and I can just take their hands and say, did you know that you're perfect? You've completed the task. You've run the race. Look how well you did. Look what you did for the kingdom. I could have done so much better. Join the crowd. Got a question for you. If you think you have to be sinless, perfectly sinless, before you can truly be saved, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? I mean, if you can do it on your own. And we always, we always couch it in, well, it's with the power of the Lord. It's the biggest piece of baloney I've ever heard in my life. Because if that's true, man, is he not good at power. If you think you have to be perfectly sinless before Jesus can save you, why do you have to die on the cross? See, I think we need to stop striving to be sinless and start striving to be perfect. See, if you keep looking at your sin and you keep trying to root all the sin out of your life, you're just looking at yourself. You're not looking at Jesus and you're not looking at the people around you that he wants you to do things with. The people that I know that have figured out that they need to be sinless in order to be saved, actually what usually happens with them is they start separating themselves from society, especially from the church, because y'all are a bunch of hypocrites and he can't be associated with you. The music in church is all wrong, and that theology that the pastor is talking about is all wrong, and he doesn't understand Ellen White like I understand Ellen White, and they start sequestering themselves and getting themselves farther and farther away from people to the point where they are zero good for the kingdom of God. People that come into my office fuming about about sinlessness and perfect sinlessness Every single one of them, I look at them and I say, tell me, how many folks have you led to Christ this last year? Well, they don't have time for that. Because they're rooting the sin out of their lives. We need to stop focusing on trying to be sinless, and we need to start thinking about being perfect. And what does that mean? Where does that sentence, be therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect, come from? Well, it comes from the Sermon on the Mount. And in context, This is what it says. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you might be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will that get you? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own friends, what are you doing more than anybody else? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. According to St. Matthew, we reach perfection when we love like Jesus loves We reach perfection when we hide our life in Christ so that His will becomes our will and His way becomes our way and that has very little to do with doctrine and theology and a ton to do with what we're doing in the kingdom right here and right now. I mean, can Jesus get any more plain? Then Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats are separated. What's the criteria? It's not sinlessness, it's perfection. And he says to the goats, you treated the people around you like garbage. You ignored them. You didn't even acknowledge that they were there. And he says to the sheep, oh man, all these things you did, you did it to me. Welcome into the kingdom. Perfection is just flowing with the will of God and doing what he wants you to do. Now, I've got some good news for you. From the book of Hebrews again. Chapter 10, verse 14. It says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever. I love that word. I'm going to read that again. For by one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Did you catch that? Did you catch the tense? He has made perfect. Christ's sacrifice, God's forgiveness, has made you perfect. It's already happened. You are already perfect. Your hand being up wasn't arrogance. It was just the simple truth that you've hid your life in Christ. Therefore, you are perfect. And you're going to be declared as that whenever your last day is. You're going to die in the arms of Christ because the Bible promises that if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. And if there's no condemnation, well, then you must be perfect. When was the last time you looked in the mirror and went, pooh, perfect? Okay, me neither. That's a little much. But, but fully clothed. Perfect. (laughs) Who are you to declare otherwise? If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation for you. You're perfect in the eyes of the Lord. When He looks at your name in whatever books might be up in heaven, He doesn't see your record of sin. He sees Jesus' holiness, and He says, Wow, they've hid their life in Christ. That's my son, that's my daughter, and they're perfect. And because you've hid your life in Christ like we talked about last night, Jesus stands up against the accusations of Satan and he fights for you. And he always wins. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect, is not a call to sinlessness. It's a call to relationship. It's a call to being the kingdom right now. It's a call to treating people like Jesus treats people. It's a call to speak out against injustice. It's a call to stand up. For Jesus, it's a call to not let the world rule the day, but to let the kingdom of God put this big shadow over the world and then bring light to it and change the world from bad to good. That's what being perfect is. You are all a part of that perfect kingdom. And if you're in Christ, feel free tonight before you go to bed to look in the mirror and say, oh, look at that. Perfect. I am a son of God, a daughter of God, in whom he is well pleased. Did I make some mistakes today? Yeah, a couple. I need to clear those up with you. Thanks for the forgiveness. And thanks for making me perfect.